Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. It now seems long ago that Kyrgyzstan was referred to as an island of democracy in Central Asia. Under the current government, the independent media, vibrant civil society, and vocal political opposition that once set Kyrgyzstan apart from its Central Asian neighbors are all disappearing. One of Kyrgyzstan's leading investigative journalists was expelled from the country, one of the most prominent independent news outlets has been blocked, and other independent media outlets are facing problems. On October 25th, Kyrgyzstan's parliament adopted in a first reading a draft law on so-called foreign representatives that many have compared to Russia's foreign agent law that was used by Russian, the Russian government to shut down many of the civil society groups and independent media outlets. The bill must pass two more readings before being adopted as a law and sent to the president for signing, but the outcome seems more than certain. What is happening in Kyrgyzstan and how did the current situation develop? To discuss the legality of all this, I am joined by Jasmine Cameron, Senior Legal Advisor for Europe and Eurasia with the American Bar Association's Justice Defenders Program, and Ibek Oskarbekov, Bishkek-based lawyer in the field of political and civil rights, specializing in non-commercial law. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, and Jasmine, if I could start with you. I know this is a big, big order for you, but can you kind of run us through what's been happening with, with media in the last year in Kyrgyzstan since October last year, November last year? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Bruce, for having me to um, contribute to this discussion. Before I start, I wanted to quickly mention, uh, being a lawyer, a quick disclaimer that my views expressed here are personal views and not the views of my employer. The Kyrgyzstan situation is very troublesome and worrisome for many of us in the international community for several reasons. First is that Kyrgyzstan, as you mentioned before, was a sort of star in Central Asia initially in the 1990s. The term you just use, island of democracy, others also refer to Kyrgyzstan earlier in the years as Switzerland of Central Asia, right? And it's very unfortunate to see such a drastic decline that's been happening in the last couple of years, specifically, as you mentioned, as regards to media and um, independent journalists. So what's been happening in the last couple of years is, uh, is the following, is that the government is... Uh, uh, restricting activities or trying, attempting to restrict activities of independent journalists. You mentioned the case, the case of uh, Bolotimirov. The case from legal uh, point of view is absolutely does not have any um, substance or legal basis to hold itself uh, in court. Uh, most recently, Bolot's legal team uh, had a hearing at the Supreme Court and it was not successful uh, for him. There are uh, lots of other cases, specific cases, such as you mentioned, case currently in courts, a uh, civil case against club media outlet, uh, the previous pressure and previous case against Azatik. We all know uh, that the situation, there were other cases of uh, government suppression of independent outlets, but also we've seen many new cases of bloggers popping up here and there, which is also a, uh, a concerning trend. So it's not only government reaching out to sort of uh, a big anti-corruption investigative journalists and outlets, but also targeting smaller bloggers, uh, even for, for example, for reposting critical video of 
uh, government officials, like with the case of a young blogger, 19-year-old young blogger. Anyway, um, overall picture is not uh, very positive not only with specific cases, but also from legislative point of view. And I beg we'll be talking more about it. But government, specifically the presidential administration, came out last year in September and introduced a new draft law on mass media. Of course, the reason for this podcast is that we are going to be diving in and discussing the amendments to on foreign representatives to a couple of legislative acts. In addition to all that, I wanted to also mention about uh, worsening human rights situation that is also relevant to this discussion is that last year, uh, well-known cases of sort of the bunch of cases against human rights defenders, political figures, oppositions called Kimpirabad cases, where 20, over 20 um, people were detained based on their legal, not legal, but discussion of the potential committee to challenge the legality of that act, act meaning when the president had an agreement with Uzbekistan to give a way to swap the Kimberabad uh, water reserve and in, in, in return they got another piece of land. So this all situation is very tricky from international point of view for several reasons. I probably will stop here, Bruce, but um, that's that's the initial background for, for the discussion. Okay, thank you. And we're going to get into this, what you were starting on, but let me give Ibeck a chance to speak a little bit. Ibeck, you know, for, for 30 years, the independent media in Kyrgyzstan has functioned without relatively without a huge amount of problems. There have been some, certainly, but but not on the scale that it's happening today. What what has been happening since 2022 and in this year um, from the legal point of view that's changing the, the climate for trying to, uh, for independent media outlets in Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, of course. First of all, thank you for hosting on this podcast. Answering for your question, of course, Kyrgyzstan going through the big uh, changing, legislation changing uh, for the past three years. In 2020, we changed our constitution. In 2021, we changed our constitution again, and we are now more presidential republic. Uh, and uh, in 2021, we had a big changing uh, process. It's called it called big changing process. We started to change 369 uh, laws from the audition, and most of them going to the changing and according for to this uh, most of the parliamentaries and most of the ministers say that we need to change the law system of Kyrgyz Republic and according to this we now are having a really big changing in our law system according to media according to NGOs according for the criminal codes and etc for example our lawyers uh, really uh, was very very tough years because we always uh, working on analyzing a lot of draft laws uh, in the same time. For example, I was uh, analyzing criminal code in the same time analyzing the uh, draft law on NGOs and etc. So for media, uh, it's a really big changing now uh, because we are waiting for the public discussions in the the new uh, law on the mass media. It's in the parliament now, and I think if this uh, law will pass, the new uh, legislation will pass, the registration rules will be changed for all mass media and not so only for mass media, also for the some of the uh, medias in the internet. 
Uh, let me ask you, Ibeck, uh, follow up a little bit here. If we could talk, uh, you know, Jasmine had mentioned the case of Bolat Tamirov. Now, can you give me, from a legal point of view, I mean, what just happened with, with all that? He was he was in the country for a long time reporting, doing investigative reporting. All of a sudden, this case came up. They, they declare they found that he was not legally a Kyrgyz citizen and deported him. I mean, can you talk about the, the legal aspects of that case? Of course, it's, uh, it's more about the politics things. Uh, of course, Balatimirov was a, a civil activist in Kyrgyzstan, made a lot of investigation on corruption in the uh, not only some state bodies, also in the it was accordingly uh, going for our uh, national agency on the security, uh, and this was might be trigger for our government to uh, make some illegal acts according to him. So, and from the legal point, it was. Uh, the violation of his uh, civil rights, uh, the violation of his rights, because there was no any evidences of his uh, citizenship of Russian, and so the, there was no any reasons to deport him from Kyrgyzstan. Okay, thank you. Um, Jasmine, can you talk a little bit about Klop? Yeah, sure. Um, I also wanted to add a little bit to discussion about Bolot's case. We've been following very closely, and unfortunately, the case doesn't have any legal basis. Just to add to Ibex's comments is that Bolot case uh, initially had four charges, including the fraudulent uh, sort of fraud of dealing with his uh, documents, as well as the drug charges. His pro bono experts from Northwestern University, fantastic team, they submitted amicus to the Supreme Court, and unfortunately, Supreme Court did not accept their filing and wrongly stated that they should send their amicus to Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is not correct, which unfortunately goes against the international practice where even courts, for example, in Russia, they admit third-party filings. Talking about Klub is that also very similar trend is that the government is trying to suppress activities of this outlet. Prosecutor's office sent a request to the local court asking to cease the activities of Klub based on the fact that in their charter documents, they do not have specific description of their activities as a media outlet first. And secondly, the second basis was that their activities are very critical of the government. So um, can I, can I Klub, one second? It, the formal name of, of Klub's organization is Klub Media, right? Right, yes. But yes. the government so, seeing that they didn't know it was a media organization. It's not clear that it's a media organization. They claim that, they, and that's the interesting development with club lawyers, is that the government claims that they do not have the description in their charter documents. And so now club lawyers ask the court to involve Ministry of Justice as a third party in the next hearing and the uh, and Ministry of Justice is going to sort of elaborate on that fact. Are there any other options for the organization to be, you know, stopping the activities if that's not described in their um, in their charter documents? They recently had their hearing just a couple of days ago, and the court is going to sort of ask Ministry of Justice to clarify that. I have to sort of give credit to all of the lawyers working on this case. 
On other cases is that they have a very difficult task, as I did mention that they're doing lots of analyzing of the draft laws, but also working on specific cases. Uh, the, the demand for this work is huge. So I, I wanted to sort of express a little bit of solidarity in this regard, that lawyers are doing a fantastic job, whether it's a case of Azatek Club or Bolotimirov, it's, uh, it's tough time for them. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, okay, I back. Let me ask you about some of the. I'm curious about the legal case of uh, Vicherny Bishkek versus Cactus Cactus Media. You know, it was based at least originally. It was based on on Cactus reporting that that Vicherny Bishkek was about to close, and they were letting all their employees go. Now, clearly, that didn't happen. But the case is still ongoing, even though uh, I believe people in Cactus have admitted. Okay, we had bad information from people working from Vicherny Bishkek that it was about to close. Uh, but clearly it hasn't closed, But and yet the, the legal case is still in court. Uh, how to how understand that? Mostly it seems that they are waiting for some negotiations between these two mass medias. You know, when we are talking about the uh, appellations, uh, about the, we call it recording to the some mass medias, when the mass medias appeals for other mass medias for protecting their rights uh, and bill for some a lot of big bills for them. It's always very hard for the court to investigate these cases. So that's why it seems that mostly they are waiting for some negotiations uh, between these two mass medias, how they will solve by each other's. Maybe they will make some mediation between them. Uh, do, do you see any underhand behind this? I mean, some people have suggested that Vicherny Bishkek is is owned by people who are close to government officials. Is that true? Yeah, of course. If, if we'll analyze some uh, some medias, some articles in the Vicherny Bishkek, there is a lot of uh, pro-governmental uh, uh, articles against NGOs, against mass medias. So it seems that it, it is more pro-governmental uh, structure uh, because before, uh, if you know, before in 2020, in 2010s, to, in 2000s, early 2000s, which was one of the uh, best uh, independent mass media. So now it's not the same as was. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And before we leave the ind- these individual media outlets, I was wondering if anyone wanted to say anything about 24KG because they've also had kind of a lot of problems. Not not only in Kyrgyzstan, of course, Roskomnadzor, the the Russian state censor, uh, just blocked their website a couple of weeks ago. They'd already ordered Klob to be blocked. Uh, Jasmine, do you have any information on what's happening with twenty four kg? I don't have any specific information on that, other than what we've seen in the in the public domain that it was. Uh, also sort of subjected to some pressures. But other than that, I don't have any details for now. Okay, well, I'm going to have the halfway point right now because we're going to get into the heart of the conversation here in the second half, the, the draft law on media and the draft law on uh, foreign representatives. So a reminder that we are talking about Kyrg- the Kyrgyz government's recent legal moves against independent media and other uh, others. And my guests are Ibek Oskarbekov, Bishkek-based lawyer in the field of political and civil rights, specializing in non-commercial law. And Jasmine Cameron, senior legal advisor for Europe and Eurasia with the American Bar Association's Justice Defenders Program. Okay, um, Jasmine, I guess I'll start with you again. Let's look at the 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 law on media. Uh, What's what's 
concerning about this? Sure. So as I mentioned briefly in my introductory remarks is that the president's administration came out with this new proposal of the new draft law. Overall, there are many concerns about this draft and the civil society pushed back last year. And so the presidential administration decided to have longer talks with the uh, stakeholders. And I believe that next week they're going to be a next discussion, uh, public discussion, initiated by a a mootsman, I believe. Uh, The essence of the draft is that, like other drafts, is that the language is very weak and restrictive, creating a restrictive environment. Generally, if the government is going to restrict activities of uh, organizations or individuals, they need to make sure that the restrictive language is compliant with you know, certain rules, that it's uh, legal restrictions, that it's uh, necessary, absolutely necessary to achieve goals in government policy, that it has uh, sort of the higher purpose, meaning that it has a, um, uh, in order to restrict activities, that it has to protect um, interests of larger public, security, health, etc., etc. So it's not the case with this draft law. Probably the most worrisome item in this draft law is the fact that websites, all websites have to be registered with the government. Media organizations are not clearly defined. Again, the the very vague and not clear language. Overall, sort of themes through this draft is that the government wants to restrict activities of any websites that maybe not even in the business of broadcasting or publishing any any news. Legal experts, local legal experts, uh, generally saying that the draft law is very inconsistent and messy. So it just, I guess, the initial draft. So there is a hope that after more work, maybe it will get to a better shape. Um, so we'll see what, what will happen um, next week during the discussions. I'm curious, and and this is a question for both of you. But I'll start with you, Jasmine, since you were since you were just speaking about this. You know, there was a while ago in the '90s, for instance, uh, before internet was like as huge as it is now. But they they used to do uh, all of a sudden announce that they were going to redo tenders bidding for for broadcast broadcast frequencies for both radio and television stations, and they used that in Kyrgyzstan and other Central Asian countries too, as a way of having everyone all of a sudden have to compete for a certain frequency or a channel that they were able to do. And then they would get rid of the ones that they or try to keep the ones they didn't like from being able to get registered again. Do you see that kind of repeating, but now in, you know, in the, in the global net, is that kind of what the law is that is being aiming at in Kyrgyzstan, the changing of the media law? Yeah. I mean, generally um, the trends are very similar all throughout the, um, the world in, in where the uh, um, sort of autocratic governments are taking over, right? That they want to control the narrative. They want to make sure that the uh, media is uh, compliant with the government messaging. Uh, and that's the whole idea that the government wants to put more restrictions on the media and make sure that they're in control. Um, they want to restrict access of any foreign influence. They want to make sure that they, it sort of goes in line with the idea of propaganda, right? That the government wants to broadcast the messages that they're comfortable with. And that's a very dangerous trend. Again, going back to the to the initial arguments that Kyrgyzstan is 
uh, sort of the only country in this Central Asian region in the cluster of autocratic states where there is still hope is left. And so the media, this media environment and this new draft law is um, unfortunately proves that the, the trend is, uh, is not improving. Okay, thank you. Uh, I bet. What about the re-registration of media outlets if this law passes? And also, what other aspects of this, this draft law and media catch your attention and, and cause you some concern about the way this law is, is, was written? Yeah, of course. I want, also want to add that was a lot of some violations of uh, rules uh, in the draft lawmaking process. The administ- present administration last year, uh, when we discussed with them that uh, these uh, issues, they told us that they will create a working group on the draft la- lawmaking process of draft law on the mass media. And this working group was cons- consist of uh, about 50 representatives of NGOs and law, uh, law uh, experts from civil society. And uh, they had about five meetings. Uh, the group uh, of civil society they gave uh, to administration of president a lot of remarks, a lot of uh, ideas on how we can improve this draft law. And they said, okay, we will do everything that you gave us. And then in the end of the working uh, of this group, they just published the first version of uh, this draft law. So they just create a working group just for the statistic, just for the uh, reports that they discussed these uh, issues with uh, civil society. So this was a real big problem. And also, uh, we should mention that the, some articles, it's also copyrighted from the dr- law uh, on media from the Russian Federation. And also, the big problem is here on the regis- registration of uh, mass medias. Uh, we are scaring that some medias can can be go through the regist- registration, but it's not so big point. The main point was mentioned by the Jasmine that the, all media, all websites should register as, me, uh, as mass media. For example, if I have non-commercial organization working with some, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, with uh, some villages, and I have uh, my own website, I should register my website as a mass media. So this is the point. Okay. Um, thank you. Is there anything else that you see in the in the media law the way it's it's currently written that uh, you wanted to point out as being particularly concerning with this law? I mean, like the whole draft law is uh, as I mentioned before is very sort of um, inconsistent, confusing. There are a lot of parts that don't make sense. So it seems to me that it was just a draft that was patched quickly that just is not, you know, is not a one fluid document. So I'm really hoping that with the help of civil society, with uh, pressure from international community, that this could be a, a much better law than it is in current state. Okay, let's move on to the, the law on um, the draft law on non-commercial organizations, which is also called the, the uh, draft law on foreign representatives. I beck I'll start with you. What what's the problem with this one? What's the, what's wrong with this law? Uh, okay. Uh the um this law this draft law has a really uh, long story about 10 years. Uh, in September 2013, uh, our parliament uh, also tried to push uh, this draft law, but th- that time it was uh, called the draft law on foreign agents. But at that time 
uh, our parliament rejected the draft law in the third reading. And uh, last year in November, member of parliament, they uh, introduced for public discussions the draft law, and the text of which was similar to the text of previous draft law introduced in uh, 2013, a part of the concept of foreign agent. They just changed, uh, replaced by the foreign representatives. And also this draft law is a copy, a 99% copy of the uh, Russian uh, law on foreign agents. Uh, this draft law was uh, withdrawn as a law of the Kyrgyz Republic on state registration of legal entities. And these new amendments, this new draft law consists of amendments to the two law of Kyrgyz Republic. It's a, a law of non-commercial organizations and the criminal code of the Kyrgyz Republic. So uh, uh, we are deeply concerned about the, this draft law because it will impact on the activities of many civil society organizations operating in the country and that risk violating fundamental rights on the freedom of expression and freedom association. Uh, because uh, this draft law provides for criminal liability and imprisonment for up uh, 10 years act for active participating in uh, or support of non-profit organizations. Uh, the activities of which are concerned as uh, inducing citizens to refuse to perform civil duties or to commit other illegal acts. So uh, you, it's clearly under, we can't understand what does it mean inducing citizens to refuse to perform their civil duties. And this crime is vague, broad and subject to, to subjective interpretation. Uh, this offense may result in selective precision of uh, legitimate some human rights activities. And also uh, this draft law gives uh, to the Ministry of Justice broad powers to conduct unscheduled inspections uh, of premises, audit activities, and obtain some documentations. And also the main problem on this draft law that it's engage uh, so-called like political activities and receive funds of other property from foreign source and you will register as a foreign representative. So failure to comply with this requirement may result uh, in suspension of their activities for up to six months without a court decision. So there is a uh, some main problems of this draft law. All right, thanks. Um, Jasmine, I'd like to get your thoughts on this law. Yeah, sure. Um, I did pretty much outline all the major concerns that uh, it's uh, restrictive amendments, obviously. Uh, the government wants to control um, and specifically selectively prosecute the NGOs that are receiving any foreign funding. It's, uh, again, it selectively will be applied only to a certain number of NGOs, for example, commercial organizations as well as state entities do receive funding as well, but it's not going to be subjected by this law, obviously. From international point of view, it's uh, sort of threatens the uh, fundamental rights and also questions Kyrgyzstan's commitments, international commitments and obligations that Kyrgyzstan took upon itself. For example, currently Kyrgyzstan is a member of Human Rights Council um, that was chosen for the period of two years from this year to 2025. And as such, Kyrgyzstan uh, makes pledge to make sure that it's compliant with, uh, you know, proper human rights standards. Another example is that Kyrgyzstan uh, currently is receiving EU's um, generalized scheme of preferences, GSP, and under which Kyrgyzstan is allowed tax-free and no tariffs 
export over 6,200 products to EU. This all comes with responsibility, right? If Kyrgyzstan wants to be an equal member of international community, then Kyrgyzstan obviously has to be sort of cognizant and compliant with international standards. So with this law, it's obviously that if Kyrgyzstan adopts it, in the next hearings, it's obviously that these commitments are going to be violated. The international response was very sort of robust and proactive once the hearing took place two days ago. There is a big concern um, in the international community, specifically, again, that Kyrgyzstan is going to be sort of violating those commitments. Okay, uh, thank you. I'm staying with this law, but first I want to separate this in, in, into media that's receiving foreign funding, uh, and then and then civil society or or you know what we would really consider to be NGOs that help with a lot of social needs in the country. But again, I want to start with media, and I'll, and I'll come back to you, Jasmine. The case of Asatik, uh, which there was court ruling that blocked temporarily blocked Asatik media from having its stuff put up on the web in Kyrgyzstan. Now they, they've managed to settle that, but that was now that was before this draft law on, on foreign representatives is coming into effect. What for, uh, for an organization like Azatik, not maybe not specifically Azatik, but for an organization like Azatik that receives, obviously receives foreign funding, what is about to change for them? I mean, what are the new obstacles that they have to be looking out for if this law is adopted? Well, that's that's the question, Bruce, right? Then when we saw the court ruling that Azatik was sort of off the hook, the initial question that uh, sprang to my mind was for how long, right? That in the environment where rule of law is not sort of respected, it's just a matter of time when the government is going to push on, on those levers again. And it's all... Sadly, unfortunately, it's not just the legal basis of this decisions of this case. It's all sort of involved uh, behind the scene political games, right? If, for example, the Kyrgyz government wants to have an agreement with the U.S., again, to revive the, uh, the bilateral agreement, then it's going to be a new lever of the pressure, new, new leverage to push. Yes, I guess it certainly put uh, not only Azatik but other outlets under threat if this if this law is going to be adopted because the main intent of the law is not only to be registered in the in the uh, Ministry of Justice um, database, right? The main intent of the law is to have ability to control the activities of the uh, organizations. That's why the Minister of Justice will have such a broad powers under this law. And the definitions of political activities, as I mentioned, are very vague, that um, it could be uh, advocating or lobbying the government influencing the government of the political, in political decisions, which means uh, that the government can interpret it in any way it wants, right? So, there is a danger, obviously, for outlets like Azatik and all others, should this law going to be adopted. That's why it's so important now to for the donor organizations, for international communities to push back on Kyrgyz government to make sure that the law is not adopted, because once it's adopted, it's going to be very hard to sort of walk back 
uh, yeah, so that's that's basically kind of like a larger picture, larger concern with this law. Uh-huh. I bet I'd like to get your your uh, comments on this also. And, and, and then if you want, you can start moving into what other organizations, we're talking about media all the time here, but what are other organizations would be affected by this? If there was someone helping out with uh, uh, AIDS education, women's education or, or you know, something about uh, women's rights, things like that, are those organizations in danger too of, of possibly being targeted by the government? Yeah, I also want to add some comments for your previous question about Azatuk. Uh, so this law just con- uh, con- includes only three types of uh, non-commercial organizations. It's public funds, public associations, and public institutions. So uh, in the case of Azatuk, if they will register it as a mass media, not as a public fund, they will uh, not uh, influenced by this law. But of course, uh, there will be some problems on fundings on uh, finding some fundings. For example, a lot of our like independent mass medias, uh, they are working with some international uh, donors, international organizations, so it will be maybe tough to get the fundings. Uh, but according to mass medias, uh, if they are not registered, uh, for example, as a uh, NGO, as a non-commercial organization, that they, they will not influence by this law. But for example, in the case of uh, Club Media, uh, which was created as a public fund, so, so it, I think it will be targeted uh, very, very hard uh, by this law. So, and also uh, answering for your question, the main problem of this law is that they include uh, the idea of political activities. So, uh, if non-profit organization is recognized as a participating in po- political activities carried out on the territory of Kyrgyz Republic, uh, regardless of the goal and objective specified in the uh, uh, constituted documents, uh, is the documents when you uh, registering documents when you get through the registration from the Ministry of Justice, and it participates in organizing and conducting political actions in order to influence in the adoption of decisions by government bodies aimed and changing the state policy pursued by them. So, for example, I am a member of non-governmental organizations uh, which work on the uh, women's rights or working with uh, education, civil education, and uh, I am, and they are starting, our parliamentary starts to make some draft law on the maybe, uh, again, foreign agents, and I want to make some peaceful peaceful protests in the square main, main square it will be maybe called as a political activities and uh, it doesn't matter uh, are you working with uh, children are you working with uh, uh, some uh, vulnerable groups it doesn't matter uh, if uh, you are making some political activities uh, which will influence on the decision of a government uh, you will be called as a foreign agent foreign representative and uh, you will uh, take some punishment, criminal punishment. That's very uh, the main point of the main issue of this law. Um, let me ask you, yeah, since you're a lawyer and you are in Kyrgyzstan, and we know that there's been some groups that have, have been calling for uh, the United States and the European Union to cancel visa privileges for deputies who support this this law on foreign representatives. Now, one of the authors of the the that draft law is uh, Nadira Narmatova, and she called for the security service to find out 
who is who is making these appeals to the United States and the European Union and to punish them legally? Is that where does that leave us? It doesn't sound like that's that's should be legal. Yeah, of course. It's uh, for, first of all, it's illegal. We can call it political persecution, of course, because they don't ha- have any power to investigate who's uh, this, who starts this, you know, these uh, activities for banning the visa process from the deputies. You know, it seems that Nadir Armato is really afraid of this situation. Uh, because, uh, you know, according to the international law, ambassadors and other political embassies, they have own right to give or not to give the visas for any reason. So that's why Nadira Narmatova uh, goes through their uh, like power and uh, ask the national security to investigate this issue, but they can't do this. But anyway, you know, uh, they can investigate it, and we, call, we can call it just a political persecution of people who just express their opinion. Okay, thanks. Uh, and we are coming up to the Bruce. end. Yeah, go ahead, Jasmine. Uh, sorry, if I can just add a couple of things. It's a very uh, good, valid question about visa restrictions. And I think civil society in Kyrgyzstan is correct in uh, reviving this discussion that um, overall is that international community as well as local civil society should be able to call on the bad actors and the idea is that sort of you cannot have the cake and eat it too right if you are voting to restrict any NGOs that are receiving foreign funding then you should be true to to your words and you're not able to receive benefits of the western and have access to the Western foreign uh, systems as well. There was an interesting report, local report, video report, where they were asking local MPs uh, for their reaction about this call on visa restrictions. And many of them admitted that they have family and kids and travels all going to UK and US. So it just makes sense for the civil society to use all possible tools that are available to sort of put them on the spot, make sure that they are compliant with international standards. And if needed, those tools of um, that international standards also um, sort of, you know, um, have in their box that they could be used. And what's interesting is that those systems are in place is that State Department in the past used visa restrictions in situation, for example, with Bangladesh, and there were a couple of interviews with uh, sanctions experts and uh, visa restriction experts in the U.S. where they were able to use these systems again to prevent bad actors from violating the laws. So again, if if I have an opportunity um, to speak a little bit, uh, Bruce here about sort of the dangers with this law and with general decline in Kyrgyzstan for the international community, is that we have to be uh, standing up and speaking up now before it's too late. Um, not only because um, Kyrgyzstan would violate international standards, but also in this changing environment, geopolitical changing environment, um, it's really important for Kyrgyzstan and country in the region to sort of remain uh, more or less a free country that would allow sort of for free environment for NGOs to 
to work for the citizens, to exercise their rights. And I would also encourage um, international institutions, financial institutions, to seriously rethink their approach to providing aid and possibly putting conditions on those uh, funds and aid if countries like Kyrgyzstan government governments, more autocratic governments, are not complying with, with those conditions. I know I jumped <laughs> to recommendations and, and call for the international community, but I wanted to make sure that we are including this in, in this discussion. No, no, that's fine. Um, and I'm going to come back to you because this is time for final comments. Uh, so I'll start with you and I'll let, then I'll let Ibeck have the last word. But let me just throw in something. If these two laws do pass, the law on media, the law on uh, non-commercial organizations, do the people and organizations working in Kyrgyzstan really have any legal protection at all? Or is this? are we going to be in the situation where if you cross the government, they can kind of make up the law or interpret the law they want and get rid of you or silence you? Oh, absolutely. And sadly, the environment now in Kyrgyzstan is very, is very uh, dangerous, so to say, right? There were, um, there were many sort of retaliatory acts. And uh, I'll give you an example that right after the conference in Warsaw, earlier in October, there were a bunch of comments that were very negative and threatening to the participants at the conference. And it's not only coming from the government, but also the government supports the third parties, sort of trolls and, you know, provides environment for bots to create this threatening environment for the human rights defenders, journalists. So there is a um, environment where human rights defenders, activists are nervous and I wouldn't say scared, but, you know, feel uneasy to speak up. And obviously the legislative basis, having laws and protections on the paper is just a little part of how the rights are protected, right? It's all about implementation and political will in the governments. Uh, For example, going back to those Kemperabad cases, all of those cases simply do not have legal basis according to analysis of local experts. But nevertheless, all of those cases are still pending. Right, so it doesn't matter what uh, standards they're applying, as long as the cases are sensitive, political government is going continue with their repressive practices. So that's the sad situation. What's what's happening now? Okay, thank you. I bet you get the last word. Uh, what kind of protection do people and organizations have if these laws go through? Mm-hmm. Of course, as Jasmine said, the main idea of this law is, of course that all uh, non-commercial organizations will struggle and it's a big problem on interpretation on the is these issues and uh, if we are talking about the protection of uh, civil society if this draft law will pass it will be uh, very very hard because first uh, of all the main uh, target of our government will be the human rights defender organizations uh, which works with the vulnerable groups in Kyrgyzstan the interpretation of uh, the world's political activities will be very, very, very long and uh, we can interrupt for any actions of any non-governmental organizations on the field of human rights. We can uh, interrupt as a political action and we can 
close these organizations first. Uh, and so that's why now we are working on the making some amendments to this draft law with uh, working with deputies and other decision, decision makers uh, to make be some kind of change uh, this draft law make more softer than we have now. Uh, so that's why it's very uh, useful now to for civil society to make some union and go together to fight against this draft law. And also, first of all, civil society asking help from the international organization and international community to make some awareness on this draft law. So I think if uh, civil society push uh, the decision makers and maybe some international community will push, maybe we will uh, win on this situation. But of course, uh, this draft, this law is go from the first readings and we are waiting for the second readings in the parliament and we will see what the uh, results will be after uh, second readings. So this is, I think, uh, the main point now. Uh, well, we've come to the end of our show. So thank you, Jasmine, and thank you, Ibeck, for being on the program. And a big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.